Okay, we're dedicating this class. You have a full and speedy recovery. Amen. And all set up over here. And we are learning the final, the final class of the series. We went through all of the seven prophetesses, and we are up to Esther. And like by all the prior six. The Gemara wants to know, where do we see in scripture that Esther was a Neviah? Where does it say? Now, you should just know that there are certain commentators that write that by Esther, it's a non-question. The fact that she wrote, it says in the Gilat Esther that she wrote this, you get it? But Tichtov Esther, how can you write Tanakh if you're not a prophet? The very definition of the 24 Svarim that we call in English scripture or is that they were written with high levels of divine inspiration. There are different categories of divine inspiration. The is He is like the super novel. The other Svarim, the other 19 are divided between Nevi'im and Kituvim. Who knows the difference? What's the difference between the Nevi'im and the and the, the VMR prophecies and two of them are the writings? Why are, why are these called Nevi'im? Why are those called Ksuvim? It happened at the time of the writing at the time. So I will humbly correct this. That look at this, take the Tehillim just as an example. Most people. He gathered a big part of Tehillim we know he did not compose. Halal, according to many opinions. Halal, when, you know, when we have a, a tradition that the Jewish people, we said the Halal while we were going through the Yamsuf. That's many, many, many years before David HaMelech. Anyways, Nevim and Kasuvim, the Gemara says is that there are different levels of prophecy. It's not a black and white. You're a prophet or you're not. Are you a prophetess or not? No, there's different levels. And, and we generalize into three. Three. Moshe Rabbeinu, no one will ever be like Moshe. He's a category by himself. Moshe Rabbeinu. Then you had Nevim. And then you had Kasuvim. Many prophets sometimes had the level of Nevius. And what was said or written then is called Nevi'im. And the same, like David HaMelech was a Navi. 
But when he compiled the Tehillim, he did not have the level of Nevi'ah. He had a level that's called Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh is the lowest level of prophecy. It's in the general umbrella of prophecy. And ger- generally, it's all written in prophecy. But it's on a lower level. It's on a lower level. And that's, these are the words. We are not prophets, so we don't appreciate these levels. But it's important to know that there are different levels of divine prophecy. And all of Tanakh, the reason why it's Tanakh is Dafka because the people that wrote it, the men or Esther, the woman, they were divinely inspired while they wrote it. So really, there's a question on the question. Why does the Gemara need to have a proof? There's a Sefer in Nach called Esther, not even Mordechai Esther, Esther. Now, the, the, the approach that we took by the prior six really answers this question. We're not only looking for a source. We're trying to underline what was unique about Esther's prophecy. So the verse that we are quoting by each one isn't just a proof that they are a prophet. There's something unique about that pasuk, which identifies a certain character trait with, like we spoke last week, that Hulda's uniqueness wasn't that she was a prophetess. She was, is that she, more than all the others, she would counter. When God told her something, and if it was a negative prophecy, which it was, that's what we spoke about last week, she didn't just repeat the word of God. She, like Moshe Rabbeinu, told God one second, which takes a lot of koach, especially when you are in a, in, a, in a trance of prophecy. You are so nullified to God. For us to talk to God and to say, hey, God, please this, please that, please don't do this. For us, it's easier because we don't experience the presence of God. If you are taka standing in the presence of God, most people w- would react with silence, with being overwhelmed with which is what happened to all the prophets. They were overwhelmed. They had no senses. The senses that we have of sight, of hearing, of touch, they lost it during the time of prophecy. They actually were unable to stand or sit. Yeah. It's very interesting that she molded the Sarah of God more than the Sarah of God. Correct. Well, the, the, the Vaira can be called the Shofetet. Oh. And 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 Sada Imenu, but you're making a good point. Amata, you're saying a good point. And, and and it's connected maybe to what I would like to say. So the Gemara says like this: Esther wants to prove the Chsiv by It was on the third day, just to give the context. I mean, this is the easiest story for the background. Hopefully, we all know the background. And that is is that after Haman, um, with the seal of the king signed the, the decree of genocide. It was to kill all the Jews, God forbid. So Mordechai became aware of it. From when Mordechai became aware. And by the way, the Gemara later, there's a whole question. How did he know about it? One of the uh, tricks that Haman used is that he wanted for the decree to be kept a secret. For there not to be enough time for any opposition. And we had this many times in Jewish history that there were terrible decrees against the Jewish people and part of the evil, part of darkness is dark. Dark means it's concealed. As a rule, things that come to light, that in itself is the beginning of its rectification. Anyways, Mordechai with Ruach HaKodesh, with prophecy, found out that there's a decree. And that's Vayi Bayom Ashlishi. And they decree the three-day fast. 
I don't know how many people here ever experienced the 72 hour fast. That's, oh my God. And, and she also was part of that fast, which is really amazing because the fast was in order for her to feel that if we are unworthy, we should become worthy through tshuva. And this fast was an extension of tshuva, which is another whole topic. What's the meaning of a fast? Why do we fast? Part of fasting, fasting has in it a tshuva component. A tshuva component on so many different levels. Tshuva doesn't mean going away from sin. That's not what the word means. Tshuva means returning to God. Now returning from where? From where? Now when a person is a tzaddik and they, and they, um, and they are living in the real truth, and the real truth is that this is God's home, the physical world, for a tzaddik, the physical part of the world brings them closer to God. But when a person is not yet a tzaddik, which generally means that there were something of the world, something physical, that presented itself to us in a way that it appeared like to be a contradiction to what that which God wants. So when a piece of chazir is calling up and saying, hey, I'm tasty, and when we feel that desire, and then we, God forbid, someone goes ahead and they eat non-kosher, that person at that moment is living in a reality where the gashmi and God are not on the same page. So there has to be temporarily a movement of if God was not in this world for that person, then going to God means temporarily going away from the physical world. I'm saying temporarily because the ultimate shuva is after we got good with God, is for us to come back and live a life that brings God in the world. Because this world is not meant to be a contradiction at all to God. The opposite, the opposite. This is exactly where God wants to be more than in any other place, and it's up to us to make that happen. But since, again, a sin is that I indulged in some physical activity in a non-kosher way. So while I'm doing tshuva, I have to take a step back. Take a step back or take a step away from the Gashmi. The best representation of taking a step away from Gashmi is don't eat and not intermittent fasting that you can drink. And no, 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 no. It's like a, a halachic fast, which is very, uh, not, I would say it's not healthy. doesn't matter. It's not going to kill us. It's not, we're not doing it for health because it's healthy. It's healthy maybe to fast and to, to hydrate. And thank God, I can say thank God selfishly that we don't have a halachic 72-hour fast. I can't imagine. But there's people that do fast for long times. They say that the hardest is the first 24 hours. I never tried it. Because the most I went is 30 minutes after Yom Kippur. I mean, that was it. Ironically, you don't even want to eat because you could. But to fast for 72 hours, it definitely weakens a person. So there was a collective tshuva. Because even the specific sin that we know about was that a big part of the Jewish people, they participated in the festivities of Ahasuerus. He made a 180-day party. Shugana makes a 180-day party. And even though he made a kosher section, but the environment, as we'll get to in a moment, is that powerful that sooner or later, going to a party for 180 days, that our failing wasn't only that we went there, with the kosher food, but that led slippery slope and we ended up eating non-kosher. So there was a collective disconnect from God that we know of that was expressed through indulging in food that's not okay 
and the collective tshuva was everyone fasted for 72 hours. Esther was coming to the king. Esther, by the laws of nature, who was coming unannounced for her very life, needed for the king to find her graceful, to find her beautiful. All this is written in the Megillah. So normally, if you want to appear beautiful in the eyes of someone, you would spend time taking care of your body. Esther understood that all of this is really from God, that like our world, it's all the Eivishter. So she understood that fasting for 72 hours, and even though it meant that her countenance, just imagine, physically, you're weakened. She went to the king. She went to the king after the fast. Not after she broke the fast, from the fast. So by he by Yoimi was on the third day of the fast. And it says, Vatilbash Esther Malkus. Esther donned, she clothed herself in royalty. Says the Gemara, whoa, whoa, if she's wearing royal garments, which is the Pshat, big day Malchut Midbayalei. The, 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 the Megillah should have recorded that she got dressed in begodim of Malchus. Ah, Malchus. Malchus is Ruach HaKodesh. Malchus is Ruach HaKodesh. And she clothed herself in Ruach HaKodesh. Now, did she also dress up with royal garments? Probably. Generally, the Gemara doesn't take away the literal meaning. It adds another layer. But the focus is not that she got dressed in royal garments physically. Malchus, which is Ruach HaKodesh, and will prove it, she garbed herself in Ruach HaKodesh. So what's the source that Esther HaMalka was Nevi'a? Because Batilbash Esther Malchus. And to your point, we call her Esther HaMalka. She got dressed with Malchus. Now, very interesting, there was a story with David HaMelech that he had from his many challenges. In the beginning of his reign, there were many people that were against him becoming the monarch and against meant that his life was in danger. Wasn't, we have a different a difference of opinions and where even if things get nasty, David Amalek's life was in danger many times and when he was about to encounter a group of people in his mind, are they with me or are they my enemies? Enemies means, oh my God, let me run or fight to death. So there was a Jew by the name of Amosai and it says that a spirit garbed around Amasai and Amasai with Ruach HaKadosh told David, don't worry, they are your supporters. That's, and that's just a proof in the Gemara that when you garb yourself in a Ruach, the Ruach it means one garbing themselves in Ruach HaKadosh. And this is so meaningful and so accessible to hopping, to grabbing what we're saying based on the teachings of Chabad Hasidus, which in its very foundation in the Tanya, a big opening part of the Tanya, and this is such a foundational way of thinking in life in general, is acknowledging and understanding that when we interact with anything, with things, with people, with God Almighty, so there are two ways ingesting I'm taking something inside of me or I am giving myself over and I'm putting myself in something bigger than me makif nikaf who is surrounding whom 
and the and the and the and the the Facebook example, the primordial example in the Tanya, and this is very much connected, is if one were to contrast, okay, God wants me to learn Torah and God wants me to perform mitzvahs. Both of them connect me to God. The difference between them is exactly this. Torah is called bread. Mamish, you know, we're, we're physical. They need a physical example. What happens when you eat? Okay, so the food goes into a lower part of the body. But when you listen and you absorb in the mind, it's mamish. The same exact phenomena, a little bit more spiritually, that you are taking an idea. In. And if you want to better understand what happens to that which we listen and learn, look at what the body physically, without effort, without conscious effort, does to the food. There's a whole big thing that's happening. God gave us a body that's amazing. You take the food in. To generalize, the food, the food has good, the food has bad. And there's many levels of bad and there's many levels of good. The first thing what the body is busy doing, amazing, a miracle, a gift, is that it separates. It's busy in the void of birudim. It's basically separating the good and the bad. And it's more than that. It's a lot more complex. So it, it takes the protein and it puts the protein where the body needs the protein. It takes this mineral, that vitamin. All of the good, not only does it differentiate between one good and another good, it also separates good and bad. And on the ultimate plan, it rejects out. It, exactly the same happens when we learn everything, which is that we absorb information. The mind takes it in. Whether we are more or less aware, thank God, there is a natural gift that God gave to our Bina brain. It begins to do what the stomach does. It, it matches it up with prior information. It has intuition. It matches it up with some real no stuff that we don't even know what we know. And it begins to separate the good and the bad. And with all the details and the ultimate vomiting out the bad, as we spoke out many times, our nightmares. That's the way Kabbalah understands a nightmare. Pashtun, you're getting rid of all of the fears that happens, all of the terrible things, it's not something that will happen to you. No, no, no. Your body is getting rid of all of the foolishness that it absorbed. That which makes you feel trapped. If the nightmare is, I got trapped or I'm falling down and uh, who knows? All of that is just your brain putting together images of the shtuyot, of the poison that we absorb, willingly or not, and it's getting rid of it. The worse the nightmare, the better it is. It's like when you vomit food, the smellier it is, the healthier you are. Like good riddance, just to have that approach. Also tell it to our kids, the worse the nightmare, the healthier they become. Now, if you're going to revisit the, the dream and the nightmare, it's like a person who vomits and the idiot goes and eats up the vomit. So people that are too much into dreams, beware of that, like you're picking it back and you're re-digesting. Re no, 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 you got rid of it. It's no longer, whatever you dreamt of that you think is bad is out of the system. The ultimate fear is death. Oh, I had a dream that I got killed. Exactly. You're getting rid of these fears. Thank God you're developing. You're living life healthier. You're not constantly being motivated from the fear of death and making decisions. And many people live their lives, whether they know it or not, running away from death. Until you become 90, you go to Miami, then you wait to die. That's Miami Beach. I gotta forgive all the people here. There's someone here, uh, Tamar from Miami, and not you, but the uh, other people. And you can be a 90 year old or 120 year old and be youthful, but it's very important that while God gives us life, we should never wait to die. And most of us don't, but we, 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 we are afraid. People build monuments because they're running away from death. And that's not a healthy motivation, it's a negative motivation. Negative motivations, even though you're doing something good, is not good. 
it's better than nothing, but we gotta, anyways. So coming back over here, so you have Torah. Now Torah is like the mother, because since it's God's word, there is no bad. There's no bad in Torah, but, but you have to know where to place it. So that's, you know, many people make mistakes. So they're learning, they're learning like Gemara. Gemara is not halach. Not everything that we're saying now is halachically correct. Or a person is learning Hasidus. You have to, you have to have, so there's, there's work that we do. The mind does, hopefully we become more aware of it. Hopefully we are more partnering, we partner. But even if we don't partner, there is a certain power that God gifted us with that you hear Torah and then you begin to place it in the right place. And if something is placed in the wrong place, it's going to create a problem. Like, how can it be? You can have a kasha. It says here in Torah like this. It says like that. Something is wrong. Yeah. So you have to correct that. But anyway, so the Torah is ingesting godliness. How great is that? Mitzvahs is the opposite. A mitzvah is like a garment. The garment is an expression of God. Every mitzvah is an expression of God. Let me use mitzvahs that are physically enveloping, like a sukkah. But it's all the mitzvahs. Sometimes we have to abstract them. But let's take a sukkah. There, there, there is a hallow, there is a, there's an environment. And we go into that environment. So who is surrounds food goes in me, I surround the food. Not only do I surround the food, but because of me ingesting the food, something else happens. Ultimately, what becomes of the food? Me, you. In other words, that ultimately we really unite with the food. No one really ever unites with their garment. It's bigger than you, it's greater than you. Whether it's a physical garment or whether it's a sukkah or a mikvah or, or all mitzvahs, even if they, if they don't look like a garment, mystically, it's a certain expression of God that we go into. And it's beyond us, which is why we don't understand most mitzvahs. Most of us don't even experience godliness when we do it. It's greater than us. It's a lot easier to feel something with Torah. Even if you don't get excited, at least you understood. If you understood, you hop it, you, you grasp it, you have it. When I give myself over into something bigger than me, that has me. God has me. Perfect. Do, did I get God? Probably not. And that wasn't the goal. The goal was for God to get me. I'm doing a mitzvah. Very important then. So Torah and mitzvahs. Now, which one of these two do you think is greater? Torah or mitzvahs? But doing it is the mitzvah, not Torah. Yeah. So you're saying mitzvahs because we're doing it. What would be the advantage from learning over doing? What would be the other side? Both sides are correct. What, what, what's the advantage of learning over doing? Learning makes us happy. Huh? Learning makes you happy. It should, yeah. Correct. Doesn't necessarily... But it doesn't necessarily because you're not grabbing it. Okay. You know, the, the, let me word it like this. You know, the mug and the, the, the arrow up and the arrow down. Even in Tanya, it's amazing. But if one's goal in life would be to elevate oneself, which isn't a bad goal, okay? You want to get closer to God. One could successfully argue 
that if you have to compare Torah or mitzvahs, which one of these two will make me get closer to God? The answer would be Torah. It's going to elevate you more. It's going to elevate you more. Dafka, because you're grasping it, you are internalizing it. When you do something and you don't hop it, while you're doing it, you're doing the greatest mitzvah, but it didn't change you. Torah will change the person more than mitzvah. So if the goal is my elevation, Torah is greater. If the goal is, what does God want from me? What does God want from all of this? God wants me to keep the mitzvahs. So as far as bringing godliness down into the world, mitzvahs are even greater than Torah, even though I'm not necessarily more refined, even though I don't necessarily understand it, even though I don't necessarily get excited while I do it. It's not about me. God wants me to do it. Now, halavai, I should try to understand it and I should try to feel it. That's a secondary benefit, but that's not the goal. The goal is to do what God wants of me, and that's the mitzvahs. So let's now go back to Esther and to this type of Nevi'ah. We spoke a few weeks ago, whether it was Avigail, and we have this also by Devoido, who was the Shofetet, that they were masters in scholarship. Avigail was the most learned woman. So there was a certain pathway of getting to Ruach HaKadosh through learning. And Esther personifies the other pathway, the, the opposite pathway. That if you give yourself over to do that which needs to get done, she garbed herself. And literally, that was the story because Esther was not enjoying what she was doing at all. I'm not only talking about the fast, but the whole concept that Esther was really married to Mardachai needed to submit herself to Ahasuerus against her will to save her life. So it, it, it wasn't about her enjoyment, about her elevation. It was about doing literally what needed to get done. She saved our people by doing what needed to get done. Like Yael, but Yael was not a prophetess. So the derech of Esther was celebrating connection to God through the path of a That was Esther with, with Ahasuerush. How can it be? Esther was a demon that looked like Esther was with Ahasuerush. These are the words of the Gemara. And the way I understand it, it was one Esther. It wasn't a demon that looked like Ahasuerush. Is that when she was doing an activity that she so did not want to do, Ke'ilu, she left herself. She allowed her body to be possessed by a demon. And what needed to happen, needed to happen which is what many people experience. If God forbid, I'm saying terrible traumas when people say that I mamash saw myself from the ceiling. I look down and people have that. It's a common uh, experience. When you really don't want to be where you are. It's not about your experience. It's about this is happening. And if I don't want to be part of it to the best of my ability, I'll remove that which I could. And that was the story with Esther. Esther never wanted to be with Ahasuerus. She married him against her will. Mamish. So that's the meaning that she gave herself over to something much greater than her. And that's the way that she connected to Ruach HaKadosh. And that's the way she connected to prophecy. 
And that's connected to Malchus, to kingship, which is mamash amazing. And that's the power that we all have, the power and the responsibility that we have. This is a theme in Hasidus, you know, that, that everyone has their own freedom of choice. And the goal would be with ourselves, with our kids, with the people around us, the less intrusive, the healthier. The less forceful, the healthier. But when we allow others to make choices, what's on us is to do everything we could to create the right environment. Because when a person is in the right environment, environment is the most subtle, it's the least intrusive. The painting, the color. You know, you're not focusing. And it has, Dafka, because it's that subtle, it has the greatest long-term influence, not forceful uh, intrusion, influence on a person. Choosing the right environment to put ourselves in. Choosing the right environment for our children. Creating the right ruach in the house. This is very important. People have to develop that koyach. And that's a big growth. We want for our kids, we want for us to grow better, create a better environment or choose to go in a better environment. Not with people that will be telling you what to do. That's not the environment. That's already like Torah. Do this. God says, don't do that. I'm going to go into a sukkah. That's godly. It says that women have that specifically, but what's the lotion of the passing that a woman with Bina builds her home. The, word, the words are not coming to my mind, but that's the English translation. Bino, the woman builds a home because the koyach of a home is not to be intrusive. Not to, you have to, you can't. No, that's, that's a, listen, if a kid is going to cross the street and they're going to, God forbid, you have to stop them. In the last case resort, short term, sometimes the world needs an ungodly world where there's still danger. But, but the way God, God gives us freedom of choice. But look at, look at the ambience that God made before we put cement on everything. So if a person puts themselves in nature, the physical ambience of the world is so conducive to acknowledge God, to want to get close to God. That's what nature does to people. And all the other good midois that comes out naturally when you go into God's environment. Comes along man, it's hard to understand where every man goes and look what we do to it. We make it into, we, make it, we bring death. They bring cement, and, we, 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 and all of a sudden, it, it, it's connected. And the behavior in such an environment gets downgraded as well because the ambiance is not the way it should be. It's not as great. And our our achrayis, we're not neviim, and that's the final nevia. Final nevia that's gonna that gives us the koyach for the whole galus is the understanding that we become inspired when we give ourselves over into godliness. And even when we can't ingest it, when we can't understand it, which is Golos, but we are able to live a lifestyle which creates an ambiance that whoever is in it is connected. They might not know it, they might not feel it, might not be direct, but it's going to be subtle, and subtle is amazing. That's Esther. And Vatkan, the seven prophetesses, prophetesses, I think at the end I got it right, and God willing, we're going to go next week. We're going to start reviewing some halachas of Rosh Hashanah. And then we're going to review halachas for Yom Kippur. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to go over the rules of, uh, of Yom Tev.